Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Man, y'all are so good. Y'all just didn't answer me and everything. That early service, they just kind of look at me like, why are you talking to us? It's early. Um, all right, well, we're in a series called I'm In. And uh, we're going to talk today about um, one of our core values, and that is your value and what, uh, how the church sees you, how God sees you, and how others see you and what your value is to each of those. And, you know, if you look at our, we have a wall out here that has all our core values on it. And every, every core value says every one. And, and that's, it's not everyone, everyone. And that's on purpose. And that's because as we've read through and looked at the, the teachings of Jesus, whenever he taught a parable and, and the, the significant events that happened along the way as he's teaching it all, reverberated around an individual and when he told a parable it would be about the one you know the prodigal son the um you know the the planter the and it always was about individuals and so a church is a body and we're going to talk about that and about how all of us fit together but it's a body of individuals individuals that have a relationship with christ and have a relationship with each other and so one of the things that we always want you to know is that we're here as a staff and the leadership of this church, we're here for each one of you and you have value to us. We don't just see, oh, well, we're trying to reach groups of people. We're trying to reach people, individual people. And we also want you to know, you know, sometimes people come and say, hey, I got something I need to talk to you about. I know you're busy. And I want you to know something. You're the priority. You matter to us. And, and so, so there's not a person on our staff that wouldn't say, hey, yeah, I'm doing some stuff, but I'm going to set that stuff aside because if you need to, to meet with you, you need to talk to us, we need to pray with you, we need to help you, counsel you, whatever. You're more important than whatever it is we're doing. And so we want you to know that you have the freedom. We want you to come and ask us and talk to us and, and share with us and, and let us help you in your journey and let us be a part of that. We want to be a part of that because... Everyone matters. That's one of our core beliefs, and it's not just something we put on a wall. We try to live that, and we want you to know that you matter. And we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you being a part of this church, and we appreciate you allowing us to be a part of your lives as, and through this church. And so as part of that, you know, God has created us all differently. We all come from different backgrounds. We come from um, different stories from different places, and all those things together make up our church as we are. And if somebody asked us, you know, said, hey, tell me about your church, I don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many things I could tell you, but you, we are the church. The church is not this building. If somebody says, tell us about your church, my first thought's not about, well, we're at 1504 Greenwood Cutoff Road. I think about us, and I think about you. You're the church. And, and it's not a building, it's, it's an organism. And so we're going to start out today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, you know, the, the church is described. We got a new sound system, so there, in case you hear something, it's okay. They're working on it and trying to get it figured out as we go. 
Because one of the things is you can come in here in an empty room and fix everything. <laughs> or not. But when you get a bunch of people in the room, everything's different. So we're going to be working through some things. <laughs> you're, you're, you're killing me, Brandon. You're killing me here. All right. So they'll get that straightened out. Don't worry about them. That's going to happen. I'll just talk louder if I have to. Or softer, whichever way we do. But if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the thing is, we tend to view certain things in the body of Christ as being having more importance or whatever. But the fact is that we're all uh, an integral part of the body of Christ. And you know what? Here's one of the things, one of the reasons why I serve in a local church is because this is where you see the body of Christ. You see the different parts and yet all one, all together. And that's the way created us. To, God created us to be. Oh my law! What in the world? We're gonna pray against that demon here in just a moment. There ain't gonna be no sound systems in heaven. I'm telling you that right now. Not gonna be any. But <laughs> it's gonna be a long sermon right here. All right. Here's the thing. God created you to be a part of the body of Christ. He created you to be a part of a local church. That's part of becoming and understanding who you are. And, the, and we were created to live in relationship with other people in a church. That's part of the way God created us. And so you matter to the church. You know, you think, well, they're not going to miss me. It's a blah, 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 blah. And I, I get it. You can't know everybody in the church. You know, we have three services. People come up to me all the time and say, which service does so-and-so go to? And I'm like, I blur. I don't know. I can't remember who's in which service. But I remember seeing people. 
And here, but here's the thing, you can't know everybody, but that doesn't mean that you're not a, an integral part of that body and of what the body's trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do. You know, I really believe that there are people out there that you have the, the ability to reach more than anybody else. And for that reason, not only do you matter to the church, but you matter to others. You matter to others. It says in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. See, God created you to be unique. And there are people that you will relate to that maybe you can impact, that you can have a part of their life more than anybody else. And God created you to do that to be that for the church. And God, not only that, but he gave you certain gifts, certain things that you are good at, certain things that you can do. It tells us in Romans 12, six through eight, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You know, there are certain things that you will find that you just lean, you're bent towards those things. There are people that, that it's their gift to make folks feel welcome when they walk onto our property, there are certain people that that is just a natural thing. That's how God created them. And when they use the things that God's created them for his kingdom, there's something special that happens there. There are people that are, that are comforting, that are encouraging. That's the gift. That's just who they are. And when they express that within the body of Christ, it is a beautiful thing. And you know what? We're not all the same. There are people that their gift is to make people comfortable, but it's not necessarily to get up in front of them and leave. And then there's people that it's their gift to get up in front of them and leave. There's people that have the gift of mercy. There's people that have the, the, the gift of, of teaching. And you should use those things in the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God. You matter. Your gifts are important. And you might think, well, my gift's not as important as their gift. It is, though. You know, one of the things that, that we deem as really important is this. You know, you might think, well, all I do is drive a car, or all I do is greet people when they come in the doors. But do you know that people have made up their mind about this church long before they ever get in here and hear me preach? They've made up their mind about this church by the context that they've had with folks before they even get in here. And that's important. One of the things that we, our goal as a church is that we don't ever want anybody to come onto our campus for a service and leave here and think that they don't matter. And that happens because the, the reason that it happens that people come on here and they get contacted by people is because of you. It's because of the things you do. Not only just the organized things, not only just the, you know, the, the people that are greeters or that, that are, that are helping people out in the parking lot or helping people find their spot. But it's people in here. 
It's you. It's you saying, hey, let me let me move my family to a seat we don't normally sit in, which is against everything I believe so that you can be comfortable. That might be a little bit of a hint, too. Just throwing that out there. So it's all those things. It's you see somebody in church. Hey, I'm my name and, and I'm glad you're here. It's being welcoming to people. It's welcoming them into a small group. It's, it's you know, we, we have people that serve donuts. And I get it. That's not a hugely technical job. You put a donut on a napkin and hand it to people. But you think it's not important? Come out here and check out the kids in particular on some Sunday if we ain't got no donuts out there. Wailing and gnashing of teeth, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. I mean, it's it would not be pretty. And so that's not a, a hugely complicated thing, but it matters. Because everything that we do, we want to communicate to people that they matter. And so what you do to help in that matters. And God's given you some gifts. And God's given you some the ability to do some things in the kingdom of God. And if you're sitting there going, well, I don't know what that is, that's okay. We'll help you figure that out. You know, when I was growing up, if you volunteered to do something in church, that basically meant that you were volunteering to do it until you died. Anybody remember? I mean, if you were like, hey, I'll, I'll teach this class, they were like, whoo, hey, you're young, so we ain't got to worry about that one for 60 years. We're good. Because you can't quit until you die. I mean, when you die, you're relieved of your duties. Until then, it's yours. We don't do it that way now, okay? Now, there are people that do things for a long time, and that's great. They've determined that's where their calling is, and they love doing that, and they keep doing it year after year after year, and we're excited about that. But here's the deal. We're fine with you coming up and saying, hey, you know what? I'd like to try this. I'm not exactly sure what God wants me to do, but I'd like to try this. We're fine with you doing that for you know a while, a month or whatever, and then coming back and saying, hey, I don't think that's my thing. I want to try something else. We're 100% okay with that. Nobody's going to fall. They're not going to guilt you. Oh, well, okay. We're fine with you doing that. And so we want you to try some different things so that you can see where you're gifted at if you're not sure where that is. Or maybe there's something that God's drawn you to, and you're, but you're part. I don't know if that's gonna. You're you're welcome to come try it out. You're welcome to come just kind of observe, ask questions. We're a hundred percent okay with that. We're not going to. Hey, you know, I was interested in children's ministry. Great, we're signing you up. Here's your here's your class. Here's your teaching material. We don't do that. All right, we're fine with having discussions, and we want you to find that place where you've been gifted to do certain things well. And there's lots of things that go on behind the scenes. There are people that do things that nobody ever sees. People that take care of the buildings. People that help organize things. People that are that that just go in and and sit with the kids to help. People that drive carts. People that open doors. There's all kinds of things you can do to serve God's kingdom in God's family. And we would invite you to come and try those. So there's two things. We want you to understand that you matter to the church and that you matter to others. There are people out there that you can invite that you'll have more influence over than anyone else. There really are. And we want you to be a part of that. Our, our strategy 
to get the word out about our church, to tell people about Jesus, to invite them to come here and hear the gospel. Here's our strategy. It's you. We, we don't have thousands of dollars in average. Hey, you know what? We finally got in where we put up a couple billboards. Any of y'all seen them around town? We, that's, that's not the end. That's just to help you. So that when you go out and invite people, they go, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that on a billboard. Yeah, I want you to come to church with us. You're our advertising, our outreach plan. You're it. We want you to be out there inviting people. Now, don't go inviting. I want to. I can't tell you this enough. Our goal as a church is to reach the lost and the unchurched. Okay? So if you find somebody that like, I don't know if I believe. Hey, come to our church. You'll feel comfortable. Maybe you can... You know, just come try it. We'd love for you to invite people. You know what? Sometimes we even do incentives. We've given away Disney vacations. We've given away things just to attract people here to hear the gospel. We're good with that. We're thinking about doing a giveaway of a dozen eggs sometime soon. I don't know. We're not really sure we have that in the budget, but we're thinking about it. So it's a thought. But you're, you're our plan. And so we want you to use those tools that we give you. We want you to go out and invite people to be here. And there's people that you can reach better than anybody else on the planet. Because God's gifted you. Maybe it's because of your personality. Maybe it's because you know them or you have a connection. Maybe you have a shared uh, background or story or history that will allow you to reach somebody. But understand something. There are people out there in your world that you can reach better than anybody else. You know, I know sometimes, well, I mean, if I could get the preacher to come talk to him, I don't know. Him. But if you know, him, you might be able to do a better job than I ever could. And so you have a place and you matter to others. But now I want to talk to you about the place in your life or that part of your life where you can be the most effective and have the greatest testimony. And here's the thing about it. It's a lot of times uncomfortable to talk about. It's usually from a place of failure or pain or difficulty. Because here's the thing about the God that we serve. He doesn't leave us the way we are. He changes us. He, he removes things from our lives. He purifies. He sifts. And those are the places so many times where God gives us our greatest testimony. Psalm 66. The children of Israel have been slaves for 400 years. And God brings them out of slavery. And through all those, those steps, all the plagues and all the things that happened to be set free and, and all the things that begin to happen to them after they've, they've come out of Egypt. And God is using them. And He's doing things in them. Here's what it says, Psalm 66, 8 through 12. Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing His praises. Our lives are in his hands, and he keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O oh God. 
You have purified us like silver. You captured us in your net and laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. If you want to know the area in your life that God can use the most in your testimony, it's the place in your life where God can be most clearly seen. Now, I want to kind of explain that to you a little bit. God does things in ways that a lot of times don't make sense to us. You know, when you look at Paul and Peter, they were the two major leaders in the young church. Okay. Paul was the educated one. I mean, he had been through all kinds of religious training. He understood authority. He understood structure. He understood how a religious organization was supposed to look. He knew the word of God in the Old Testament. And then you have Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was the guy who spoke before he thought. Peter was the guy who was the natural born leader that people were drawn to. When they wanted somebody to, you know, all the disciples were sitting around thinking, man, um, somebody needs to ask Jesus about this. They go, let's get Peter. Peter will ask him. Peter was a natural born leader. He was the leader of the disciples. When Peter, after Jesus was um, crucified and, and resurrected, Peter said, I'm going fishing. You know what all the disciples did? They went with him. Because the people followed him. He had natural leadership abilities. But he wasn't educated. He was also a pretty good speaker, apparently. When he spoke in Jerusalem after Pentecost, thousands of people were saved. When he spoke in front of the the Sanhedrin, which is the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees together, they were amazed at him, at what he was saying, even though he was uneducated. Paul, in a lot of ways, was the opposite. Paul was a guy who had all kinds of knowledge, but wasn't very impressive in person. As a matter of fact, he, his preaching was so boring, he killed a dude. True story. He's preaching, a guy falls asleep, falls down, and it kills him. And then Paul goes over and has mercy on him because his boringness has killed the guy. And he's, he's raised back to life. But Paul wasn't the guy. As a matter of fact, he even talked about it one. I know you guys, y'all thought I was, because I'd written these letters and they're powerful. But in person, you think, you didn't think much of me. He said, I didn't come to you in power of my personality. And so you got two roles. You got one guy who needs to be the evangelist, who needs to go around and draw people, you know, preach the word of God, meet new folks. And then you got another guy that you need to be kind of the, the overseer of the church, to be the encourager, to, you know, write letters when they needed it. Who would you think? Well, I would have put Paul in that spot. And I'd have made Peter the evangelist. But God does it did the opposite way. Why did he do that? Because you know what? God is not looking at you thinking, man, what can I do with those abilities? God's looking for people that it can be clearly seen 
that it is him that is moving and speaking and powerful and not the person themselves. So what did he do? He picked the guy that was the least impressive in person to be the one to go around to be the evangelist, to preach to the Gentiles. And he took the guy that was the best speaker and made him the behind-the-scenes leader, the encourager to the other brothers. Now, what happened in that? One of the key parts in that verse in Psalms is you have tested us. You have purified us as silver. That happens most of the times in a personal failure, in a flaw, or in a even a tragic occurrence. Something that happens that is outside of us. It happens out of a place oftentimes of pain and of difficulty. So how did that happen in the life of Peter? Peter was the guy who went up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus... We've given everything. What do we get out of this? That was Peter's thing. Peter's the one who told Jesus, hey, you ain't gonna get, you're not going to be crucified. I'm not going to let that happen. That's not happening. Peter's the one that told Jesus, I'd die for you rather than deny you. And what happened with Peter? Jesus told him, hey, Satan's asked permission to sift you like wheat. He said, but I'm praying for you that afterwards you will be strengthened and then you can encourage your brothers. So what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. The last time to a little slave girl, no one that had any power over him. There was no reason to fear her. There was nothing she could have done to him. He curses and even denies knowing Jesus at all. He failed. You see, he made all these proclamations and Peter would have been naturally the guy you would have thought. He's the one who stood up with the sword in the garden. He was ready to fight. But God had to break him and had to break him down to be able to use him. And so when Peter failed, here's what happens next. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter had... He knew this. So be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You see, here's the thing. Peter failed. He could have just gone home. But he didn't. Paul had failed. Paul had spent his whole life learning the Scripture to be able to recognize the Messiah when the Messiah came. And when the Messiah came, he didn't see him. Not only that, he became a persecutor of those who followed the Messiah. The very first one who was, who was put to death because of his faith in Jesus was Stephen. And Paul was right there egging it on. As a matter of fact, the ones that actually took 
Stephen's life came and laid their cloaks at Paul's feet, saying that they had killed him as a tribute to Paul. Paul was right there when Stephen was put to death. And he was on the road to kill others when he came face to face with Jesus. Peter came face to face with Jesus after he was resurrected. And here's the thing. They were out on the boat. They were fishing. This guy appears. They fished all night and not caught anything. This guy says, hey, try your net on the other side. And they throw it over. And it, it, there's so many fish, it, it like nearly swamps the boat. And John says, it's the Lord. He immediately recognizes him. So you know what? Peter, instead of dodging it, he could have just kind of hung back, stayed in the back of the... He, he doesn't know because he jumps in the water, he swims over to where Jesus is, and then he, he doesn't know what to say. And Jesus says, Peter, do you, do you love me? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for me? Peter says, yeah, Lord, I, I love you like a brother. You see, the guy who before would have been saying, oh, I, I'll die for you, Jesus. Jesus asked him, are you willing to die for me? And Peter knows I, I blew it. I can't say that. So he doesn't. So Jesus asked him again. First he says, feed my lambs. Peter, do you, do you love me enough to die for me? And Peter says, I love you a lot, Jesus, but I can't make that promise. Feed my sheep. And then the last time he says, Peter, do you, do you love me like a brother? And they grieved Peter because he knew. And he says, feed my lambs. Paul comes face to face with Jesus on the road. He's struck blind. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Okay, I mean, the key thing in both of these guys' lives is everyone face what they did. And give it to him. And here's what Jesus did. He put Peter in that place. He'd already said he was going to be a leader. But he had to be sifted. He had to be purified. You know, silver's found in this ore. And, and it's a mixture of silver and other kinds of metals. And the only way to purify it is to heat it up to melt it, to break it down, and then to blow the impurities out. And there's an old story, and I don't know if it's true, that the, the way to tell when the silver has become its most pure is when you look in it in its liquid form and, and the impurities have been removed and you can most clearly see your reflection in it. Now, I don't know if that's true about silver, but let me tell you what I do know. It is true about us. 
that when God purifies us and begins to burn away and remove the things that are keeping us from following him, that we can most see the reflection of Jesus in those areas in our lives. And it comes oftentimes from those places of failure and heartache. And those are the places of our greatest testimony. First Peter 5, 10 through 11, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. So after Peter had gone through these things, he was preaching and teaching about Jesus. And they called him in and said, hey, you need to stop. And you know what? This time, Jesus has restored him. He strengthened him. He's put him on a firm foundation. And so this time, he's not in front of a slave girl with the opportunity to deny Jesus. All he had to do at this point, and who would have blamed him? These are the same men that got Jesus crucified. They could have done the same thing to him. He might have had a justifiable reason for saying, hey, okay, we'll back off a little bit. But you know what he says? He says, who are we going to please, you or men? You or God? We're pleasing God. We're not stopping. And so they beat him for a while, a little bit, and turned him loose. They whipped him. And you know what Peter did when he left then? He rejoiced that he'd been found worthy to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. He passed the test this time because his pride had been burned away. So he didn't go out there going, hey, I did it this time. That he just rejoiced that he'd been found worthy to be persecuted. Paul went from that place and became, went all over the world, starting churches and starting missions. And you know what he would tell him? He'd say, look, I, I get it. I'm not that great a speaker. I'm not going to wow anybody when I talk. But it's not me. It's the power of the gospel that changes lives. You see, in that place in Paul's life, you could most clearly see Jesus. You didn't get confused because, man, he could, he could really bring it. It was just the power of God. And with Peter, it was the same thing. They were amazed at him because he was uneducated. And yet he spoke with authority because God had sifted him. Paul was used because God had sifted him. And God can use you. And a lot of times, the places of our worst failures, our, our, our biggest heartaches are the places where God can most clearly be seen. And you have a story. You have a testimony. And here's what our job is now. 
on down in Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20. It says this, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. That's the same psalm where it talks about them being purified like silver, tested, going through suffering. And now at the end, you got a, there's a testimony. Come and listen, all you who fear God. And I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love for me. The greatest thing you have to offer is your story. It's your testimony. It's the ability to say, come and listen. And I will tell you what he did for me. Come and listen. Now, I'm not going to tell you how God wants to use your story or how he wants to use that place in your life. God will show you that and God will give you the opportunity. But you know what? There may be things that you don't really want to deal with, you don't want to talk about, and I totally understand that. But go before God and say, God, what? how do you want to use this? How could this be used for your glory? Because I'm gonna t I'll tell you right now, some of the most meaningful testimonies I've ever heard about the power of God have been when you can most clearly see that it was God who did something in someone's life. When people were at a point where like, I, I can't fix this. I can't make this better. I can't do anything about this. But God stepped in and did something. And you can see the hand of God. Those are the stories. Those are the testimonies that do the most and, and can affect people for the kingdom of God. And you don't have to be a famous person. You don't have to have this or have that. Maybe it's just because God's going to use it to bless somebody in your life, through your life. I don't know what the answer is. But here's what I know. is we got to come before him and say, God, my story is your story. Do with it as you choose. Here it is. And be willing to use those places in life for his glory. Come and listen. Come and listen. And I will tell you what he has done for me. Come and listen. What's your story? Your story matters. And if you have a story where, hey, God... Here was my life, and then God showed up, and it changed me, and now here's my life now. You have a testimony. You have a story. And your story matters. It's going to matter in the body of Christ. It matters to us, and it's going to matter to somebody else. What's your story? What's your testimony? What is your, hey, come and listen, 
and I will tell you what God has done for me. You have one if you know Jesus. All of us have a before we knew him, when we met him, and what life's like afterwards. If you don't have that story, you can have one. Because here's what we want to do now. I want to share with you how to be changed by the hand of God, by his forgiveness. You see, all of us were born with a sin nature. Nobody has to teach us to sin. We sin. The Bible says all have fallen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned. That sin separates us from God. But God in his mercy, because he loved the world, sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, we've all sinned, but we can all have forgiveness through Jesus. But we have to ask. We have to confess our sin and ask forgiveness. And when we confess it, we've got to turn away from it and turn to him. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in that moment on. Nobody is. But you got to confess your sin. The second thing is, you got to believe in Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a guy, he's God's son. His death on the cross is what allows us to be forgiven. He died so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Then he rose again on the third day, proving who he is, that he's God's son. So you got to admit you're a sinner. You got to believe in Jesus. And then the third thing is you got to confess him as Savior and Lord. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.